As human beings, we spend a lot of our time stuck, mired in things like isolation and addiction, regret and resentment, bigotry and abuse. The list of things that weigh down a human life is lengthy and wearisome. But when freedom finally comes, it often appears in unexpected ways and from unexpected places. The Stuck Audio Project is about preserving and pondering those stories of liberation. We believe that by hearing and receiving the stories of others, we open our hearts to the forces of change. The stories you'll hear on the Stuck Podcast come from ordinary people, reflecting on their daily journeys with Christ. On the journey of life, some have come far, and some still have a long way to go. None of them are perfect, but all of them have had genuine tastes of freedom. Today's entry is from Anne. Anne's story begins with a closely knit group of Christians meeting for Bible study. This was a place of belonging for her, where she developed deep and meaningful habits of faith. But those habits ultimately led her into unhealthy relationships of dependence, placing incredible strain on her family relationships. Listen to Anne talk about the long process of gaining freedom from these chains, and as you listen, be attentive to how your own life story might be echoed in hers. So, to begin with, I was raised in a rural community about 30 miles from Detroit, Michigan. My family were very active members in our Lutheran church. From there, I married a youth director in an inner city Lutheran church, received a master's degree in social work, and then shortly after that, I uh, gave birth to a beautiful son and 18 months later to another son. It was about this time that I began to be part of a woman's Tuesday morning Bible study. There were about, oh, six or eight of us that met every week. This was a great place of belonging to me. I don't know that I've ever felt so a part of things and felt so much a part of everything that was going on. We invited a Pentecostal teacher that we had heard about to come and teach us, and she came, and we loved her. She taught straight out of the Bible, which was to us very authoritative at that time. She was uh, passionate about her devotion to Jesus, emphasized his supernatural, miraculous working by the Holy Spirit. And we really came out knowing that God's ways are far above ours and beyond all of our understanding. All of us really, really admired her. I think I idolized her. When she asked me to play the guitar during our praise songs before the teaching, I was just thrilled, felt honored to do so. And then when I went to a conference with her, she invited me to sit right next to her and I was thrilled. Uh, this was a special place of, of honor to me again. When Shirley's teaching moved on to uh, baptism, this contradicted our Lutheran doctrine and the pastor heard about it and he asked us to leave the church. Man, it was a little shocking, but we happily moved to Janet's townhouse. I think as I look back, being exiled even bound us together even more than we had felt before. And then I wonder kind of if this is the time that we started looking like a cult, a bit like a cult. Because sitting on the floor of Janet's townhouse at Shirley's feet, listening to her rather revolutionary teaching, 
I think we all felt a bit like Jesus's first disciples. We were the enlightened ones. We were set apart and chosen. And also, we could expect to be misunderstood and persecuted from those who still lived in this kind of worldly darkness. This religious focus kind of came into my role as mental health counselor. So I started asking clients about their faith life. Most of them gave a, like a brief account of their church affiliation, and then we moved on. Two clients complained to my supervisor, and he called me in and complimented me on the work I was doing, and then said that we were a public organization, not a religious one, and that I needed to stop talking about God. I told him I couldn't and happily resigned. I think at that point, something like Luther's this is where I stand, I can do no other, came to mind. With my resignation, my family had more of a reason to move to Minnesota, where my husband's family lived. So we sold our town home after me really kind of resisting at first. But then I agreed. As a Bible-believing Christian, I kind of knew that my role was to be in submission to my husband. So this is what I decided, and I did need to follow him to Minnesota. But it was hard, hard to leave friends that had become closer to me than, than really family, my family of origin. So we left. Before we left, I was packing up and I came across my social work diploma and actually considered tearing it up because I felt that I no longer needed this worldly knowledge. God and the Bible were enough. Something stopped me and I'm glad I didn't. We found a nice house in Minneapolis, a suburb of Minneapolis. Kids started their elementary school. Bill was hired as a middle school teacher. I found a job as a part-time counselor in a small Christian mental health clinic. We became members of a conservative Lutheran church just down the street. A client I'll call Sarah for confidential reasons was soft-spoken expressive, 29 years old, struggling with all of her work and a work situation, living situations. She had recently left her charismatic community and really hated living with her mother again and felt very stressed with her increased work responsibilities as a physical therapist. She went a lot into family dynamics and history. I'd never heard anyone tell such an insightful story about her life. She felt misunderstood and excluded by her siblings. And after she decided not to become a nun, which was always expected of her, she felt adrift. She didn't know where to go. So as a short-term had a solution-focused counselor, I gave a lot of suggestions of how she might move through this difficult time of small steps she could take, of things that she could say to herself to kind of reframe the situation. But Sarah gave all kinds of reasons why each one wouldn't work. And so I felt a little frustrated. Knowing that she had a strong Christian upbringing, I asked her if she had ever turned to God, if she had prayed or asked for guidance. Maybe there was some reason she was going through this. It was just a season that she needed to kind of accept. Sarah went into a kind of a lengthy 
discourse about how she'd always known God. She'd always felt his presence. She told me a story of being in a perfect place, a beautiful and peaceful place full of light, like heaven. And then when she was seven, she found herself living on earth. She begged God to take her back to this place of idyllic peace where she belonged. But then she had to accept the fact that she had to stay here on earth. There was no going back. I was really drawn into her story. I was captivated by your intimacy with God because I had never heard anything like this. So looking at what I'd been taught by Shirley, I tried to make some sense of it and kind of came up with that God's ways are supernatural, far above human understanding. God chooses whomever he wishes in the way he wishes. So he must have called Sarah before she was born into this special relationship. Who was I to question this? At that point, counseling took another direction. She reenacted childhood traumas of certain things that had happened with a cousin. She felt at one time it felt like she was being birthed through a birth canal. I was intrigued. I remained calm and I, I described what I was observing. And I left plenty of time to, for her to process the experience. And really, I thought I had done very well. I hadn't experienced anything like that. But I knew I was in too deep. My social work training hadn't prepared me for this. So I told her she needed to see someone with more knowledge, maybe a trained psychotherapist. She became really upset. She told me that she had tried that before. She never opened up to anybody like me. She really trusted me. So in my mind, I thought, how could I do what everyone else had done? Throw her out, give up on her. So I chose to continue. I felt that she was on some sort of a miraculous healing. And I didn't have to understand it. She knew the way. You know, I just had to stay by her, stay with her. So she moved to her bacon's uncle's house eventually, and at that point became really anxious and paranoid. She ruminated with thoughts and had obsessive rituals, began to binge drink. She began to think about suicide. At that point, I wanted her to talk with the psychiatrist on staff, but she refused. She didn't want medication. She knew she'd get through this, just needed more time. So as she continued to imagine ways she could kill herself, I asked her what stopped her. And she said that her religious upbringing, you know, she knew she would go to hell. So I said, yeah, you know that, huh? And she said, yeah. So I gave her my phone number with a promise that she'd call me before she hurt herself in any way. I think I probably was on a vacation or something then because she didn't call me. She called 911 one day and was admitted to the psychiatric ward for suicidal thoughts. I was so relieved that she had been admitted. I visited her there, brought her one of my sweaters that she wanted to hang on to, kind of thought that was a little weird, but went along with it. She asked me to uh, listen to a CD that she had uh, heard from Ann Murray called You Needed Me. 
So I took it home and I can remember sitting on the basement floor and then listening to it again and again. And I was deeply touched by how important I was to her. I had, in terms of the song, you know, saved her. I'd given her dignity and hope and truth. I'd put her so high that she could see God. At that point, I really believed my life had cosmic meaning. As she was ready for discharge, in a few weeks, the social worker called me in. I was surprised first that she wasn't going to uh, stay there longer because of the seriousness of her symptoms. Social worker asked me, where would she be living now? And this also surprised me. I thought this was the social worker's job to come up with. But then I felt, I guess it's my responsibility. So I told her that maybe she could come and live with my family for a while. I asked my husband, and he said yes. I think he did it probably because of the tears of, of compassion, really, that I cried because of this woman that needed a place to go. We quickly made the basement into the kids' bedroom and gave her their bedroom. And uh, Sarah really settled in really nicely. She adapted really well. We had long talks on the couch. I can just see us on either side of the couch and with our legs crossed. And it felt so good to have a friend again. Eventually, uh, boundaries were crossed and we did things that violated my conscience. But I always came back to this, that man-made rules didn't apply to us. Our relationship was on a higher level. It was spiritual. It was meant to be there for healing. She stayed with us for about three months, and my life really became strapped to hers. I believe that staying by her side, no matter what, was God's highest calling. This focus really caused rifts in the marriage, and Bill said that she had to leave. But I just couldn't put her out, so I left with her. I packed up some clothes, and before leaving, I paused by my dresser and asked God, is this really your will for me to leave my two sons? They were now nine and 11. I waited there for some small sign and uneasiness, but all I felt was a calm. They'll be all right, I thought. They have their dad. We drove to Chicago, stayed with some of Sarah's relatives, then to my parents, tried to ask my aunt in Florida to take us. She refused, so we knew we had to return. It had just been 11 days, but it felt like a lifetime. I, um, I told Bill, I promised Bill that I wouldn't see her again. But when she called, I just couldn't say no. It's at this point that her need for me became smothering. I really felt trapped. I wanted to end it, but how could I, you know? This was God's will for me. I had vowed to stay with her. Following God's plan, it's not always easy. It requires sacrifice and suffering and enduring till the end. In August, my family took a trip to visit my parents, and I looked forward to spending some time with my Michigan friends. 
Shirley and two of my other friends and I sat and talked about our life. And I really wanted to tell them about the healing ministry I'd been called into. I think I wanted their applause. Before I began, I heard the words kind of silently spoken within, but I knew they weren't mine. Tell all. So I did. I left nothing out. As I relayed all that had happened between us and my beliefs and actions, the absurdity of it all started to become apparent. It was like a veil was being lifted from my eyes and I could finally see. I felt so foolish and ashamed. So after my recount of my life with Sarah the past six months, Shirley declared me demon-possessed and invited a woman over the next day to pray for me, had a ministry of deliverance. So she prayed over me and ordered the demons out and I guess they left, I was never really sure. At this point, Janet and Shirley, my other two friends, told me never to speak to Sarah again. And so I, I really trusted their judgment and said, okay, I won't talk to her ever again. When I got home, Sarah kept calling and I kept repeating the phrase, I'm sorry, I cannot see you anymore. And I hung up. No matter what she was saying, I hung up and then felt guilty. And then I remembered my promise to my friends. When I think of that now, I'm just so grateful that these two ordinary women gave me such a bold direction at a time that I really needed it. But now my life was just shattered. Felt like I had no firm ground to stand on. It was kind of like I was suspended in midair, tethered to nothing. I was sure of just two things. It wasn't good to be alone, and I needed some kind of focus besides the last six months. So I enrolled in a Lutheran charismatic lay school. This was a school to help people determine their future vocation, just to be somewhere. I felt uncomfortable and anxious there. I felt that I shouldn't be there because of everything I'd done. But the first day of class, a girl named Sue turned around me, introduced herself, told me a lot about herself and the school and I was gonna be in the same small group and she asked about me and she chattered on and chattered on. And at the time it kind of bothered me because I just couldn't take it in. But after a time, I really felt that this really friendly woman and this conversation was one of the first bridges that brought me back into this human fold. During school, especially during worship, Emotions just kept pouring out. Uh, emotions, feelings of regret and, and sadness, and some love and, and happiness. One um, particular time stands out. And in my memoir, I'd just like to just briefly read this part so that I can get it right. In a morning worship service, a passage was read from Isaiah 49. The Lord has forsaken me. He has forgotten me. I was right there. This was me. I felt the devastating ache of being left alone. And the scripture continued. Can a woman forget her nursing child? 
and have no compassion for the son of her womb? This sudden shift hit me hard. It refuted what I was feeling. No, God has not forgotten me. God is like a woman nursing her child. As I entered into sensations I experienced while nursing my babies, tender, loving, gentle feelings like none other, I felt the same mother love being poured into me, and I cried unabashedly. There was another really memorable time at a weekend silent prayer retreat. I can remember the setting, the blue clouds, walking the hills, no time in which to do anything but reflect. I loved being silent, not having pressure to talk with others, but yet there was a connection that we all had in that silence. This whole setting and the silence felt liberating to me. I didn't want to return to class, but I found out that I had some work to do in class. There were Old and New Testament classes to attend and quizzes and books to read and journaling and prayer and meditation that you had to journal. Sometimes it was really hard to focus, but it was really good to just have these things to put my mind on. So really briefly, I'm just going to read another passage from my memoir of another time that stood out. One morning I slept in and had no time to meditate on the assigned scripture passage. While driving to school, I decided to give it a go, and even though I knew it was a bad idea, propped my Bible up on the steering wheel. The scripture was, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. I slowly repeated every phrase as I came to whatever you ask. It was as if the heavens opened and I heard a voice, not with my ears, but in a deep hidden place say, Anne, what is it you wish to ask of me? In my imagination, I saw a blank check and knew I could fill it out with whatever I chose. It took a moment for the answer to come. Friends, Lord, I want friends. Lots and lots of friends. This took me by surprise, probably because it expressed such a common human need, and I had grown accustomed to thinking of myself as rather extraordinary. Yet I knew my prayer was spot on. Friends are what I most wanted, what I desperately missed since leaving my Michigan friends. So the school was about to wrap up. We had an assignment to fill in the blank of the gift that God has given me has been blank. I wrote myself. This seemed really self-centered and unchristian, but I kept it. And when my turn came, shared it with the rest of the class. So as I reflected and wrote about this time, I became aware of how much had changed in my life since that stuck time. I could now stroll through a good world filled with beauty, goodness. I could decide what was best for me. That was my decision, nobody else's. Had some really bumpy parts, of course, times that I wasn't certain. But I knew that this inner knowing 
this intuition, this self that had been open to God and who I was, would lead the way. And I trusted in that. Right now, I continue to learn about who I am, how to lead my life in the best way that I can. And I know that when I'm faithful to that inner self, that I can also bring that self into the relationship with others. Thank you for listening to The Stuck Podcast. We want to invite you to engage this material even further through the show notes below. There you'll find a series of questions, prompts, and biblical texts that will invite you to reflect on how God is at work in your life and to think even more deeply on the places where you might, in fact, be stuck. Thanks again for listening.